0: Another episode of the In Real Deep podcast. I'm your host Steve Samino, and with me, as always, is my co-host Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew.
1: It's me, baby.
0: Is that a line from this movie? Is that it or is sure that? Just- is, <laughs> sure is. I assume when, uh, as such, but it's such a generic uh, sort of line that it's hard to really tell.
1: It's when uh, it's when Django goes into uh, to, oh, to finally that's right. rescue. Room Hilda. That's so. a great
0: part. That's really well played scene. It's very yep. emotional. It's very they they draw it out in a nice way where it's not too long, but you know you keep you're just sort of waiting for the shoe to drop and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. It was really really good. Very sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tarantino can do sweet on occasion. Sometimes kind of in very small doses. As
1: long as it's like chased with like uh like gallons of blood, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah sure.
0: And lots sure. of lots of murder. Yes, yeah, very yeah. much.
1: So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, if you haven't guessed from that exchange and from the title of this episode and from everything else, we are back on our Quentin Tarantino ride. We are going through his filmography. We're almost done. We have two movies left and this one this second to last one is Django Unchained the 2012 American revisionist western says Wikipedia that makes sense yeah. I would probably just call yeah. it a western but yeah sure throw a revisionist yeah. in there why not it is revisionist it certainly is and we'll talk about that because that's obviously a big <laughs> theme after once upon a time in Hollywood and in Glorious Bastards and just the way Tarantino approaches these alternate histories but really we're just here to talk about Django Unchained in general it's It's a fascinating movie. I think it's one I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, I had different feelings on it before we watched it, and now I think something totally different. But before we get too deep into that, let's do our beverage of choice segment. Andrew, do you have anything interesting that you're consuming tonight?
1: I I do not have anything interesting. uh, But, you know, like everyone else, probably rationing supplies to a degree, plus monitoring my mental health. So I'm just drinking good old-fashioned filtered H2O uh water i should have said that in like a bobby boucher voice i guess but um (laughs) but just drinking water trying to stay healthy Fit mind, fit body, all that sure stuff.
0: Look at, I think every, I think the last like two months of this podcast, you've been drinking only non-alcoholic beverages. It's a whole new leaf for you. I know different reasonings in January oh, and right now. Well,
1: but... uh, I've been stress drinking a little more late, uh, the last couple of weeks. This probably would not surprise anyone.
0: Okay. But... <laughs> yes, as we're recording this, this is in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. It is very serious out there. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy. We decided that it was, you know, this is a great movie to talk about because it's not in theaters. You don't need to go into the world. Your theaters might be closed at this point anyway. Sure. But this movie is eminently streamable for $4. And, you know, this is as good a time as any to, to watch, rent a movie at your house and watch it with your loved ones or by yourself. And just chill and, uh, and ride this out and hopefully get some laughs from us, us two doofuses. So...
1: Yeah, I feel like we're going to be extra industrious over the next weeks to months here, Steve. So yeah,
0: watching movies, talking. I think anything, honestly, anything we watch that catches our eyes and ears and senses, we should just talk about at this point, right? Like, why not?
1: I mean, plus, like a bunch of the new releases are probably going to be streaming directly to our houses for some time at least. I, I don't know. I, I know we shared this, but NBC Universal announced today that a bunch of stuff that was recently in theaters or currently in theaters will be available to rent, like I think this weekend. Um, like Emma, uh, there's a few others. The Hunt, but, um, I believe.
0: The
1: Hunt. Uh, and then what's the one with Elizabeth Moss? Festival um,
0: Man.
1: Invisible Man, yeah. So, and probably some other things. And, uh, I, well, I mean, you know, it was big. It was a big, you know, Disney did some great, wonderful things for themselves, and uh, to uh, put Frozen two up uh, on Disney Plus early, three months early this weekend. Um, that was a big. I didn't even to-do. know
0: it wasn't early then, but that's how out of touch I am with the children's uh, 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 movies.
1: It but... was a big, big to-do uh, in this household. <laughs> uh, and I, It's funny, we actually had, like, uh, I had a Blu-ray of Frozen 2 ready to go for the Easter baskets for the girls, and Disney Plus ruined that, but, you know, it's probably worth it.
0: That's all right. You <laughs> could just, yeah. I'm sure they'd love a uh, physical copy as well. So you'll train your uh, children to enjoy the physical things as well as the, the streaming, I bet.
1: Got to be able to watch it in the car, so.
0: That's all right. <laughs> Oh, well, along those same lines, I went to the Japanese grocery store in Los Angeles yesterday because the typical uh, Ralphs around here, it was very, very busy and everyone is crazy buying shit for no reason. So I went to the much less wild Japanese grocery store and got a nice Japanese beer, an Orion Mugo... Shoko Kunin, I probably... No, look at that. Let me, let me redo that one. I got an Orion...
1: <laughs> Wait, we're not talking about Kill Bill, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm just going to leave that in. I butchered the name of it. It's an Orion Muji Shoko... Shokunin. I'm so I'm sorry to anyone who speaks Japanese and listening to this.
1: It was de- definitely made by the guy who makes the samurai swords. and kill Yeah, Bill Mori Hanzo right.
0: surely made this beer. Right. Orion's original beer. It's very good, actually. Sure. It was. I wanted to, you know, just get something a little different, a little off the beaten path. Nothing thematically appropriate for this movie, but just wanted to support a different local grocer and just sort of get also getting in and out without waiting in forty five minute lines. So it was uh,
1: yeah, that's shrewd. That's shrewd. Yeah. Benefits that, me, yeah.
0: benefits them. No downside, right?
1: Not that I can not that I can see. As no. long as you like washed your hands before and after you got home.
0: Very clean, self quarantining right now to a certain extent. Yeah. Just just taking her easy. So all good here. Yeah. I hope you're all doing the same again. Be smart, be safe. Watch Quentin Tarantino movies. That's our advice on this don't, particular. Don't go movie. to the
1: theater. Most people can't anymore anyway. I saw Regals closing every theater in the country, but if you can go to the movie theater, do not go to the movie theater. But
0: don't when they open anywhere. up again, please go, because that's, yeah. you know, but yeah, for now, chill. Chill for a month at least, please. Yeah, yeah. And listen to us talk about Django. So, Andrew, let's get into <laughs> it. I sort of hinted at it. I, When I saw this movie back in 2012, I don't really remember why, but I was not super a fan. I enjoyed it. I found it to be very entertaining, I remember. But I just didn't gravitate to it for some reason. And I don't know if you felt the same or what it was, but this time around, I had a much different approach and much different feelings towards it. I thought it was terrific. Uh,
1: yeah, I thought it was really good at the time. Uh, but I also wrote probably possibly the dumbest sentence on our entire website that I've ever written. Uh, That's a competitive uh, category was, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. There's lots, <laughs> so much to choose from. Uh, where, where I wrote that I thought Tarantino had done about as good a job of anyone as like trying to, uh, you know, bring you know deal with slavery cinematically in a way uh, that no one else had. And as you mentioned, this movie came out in two, 2012 and. Literally, less than a year later, 12 Years a Slave came out and made a complete fool of me. I never should have written that sentence. Anyway, (laughs) um, it probably wasn't even true at the time, but, you know... um, uh, But I I, So, anyway, I remember liking this movie, writing that really dumb sentence, and then watching 12 Years a Slave and being like, uh, maybe it wasn't that good, but I would, like you, I I came kind of back around to it. Um, There's some things that I didn't care for in this movie but generally uh i mean there's a lot for someone like me to like uh, anyway i mean i like quentin tarantino i love westerns particularly westerns from the 60s and 70s and this movie is chock full of references to those um and uh and so you know it's it's geared towards someone like me And and then it just it just has some some really great performances too so
0: yeah, and it's it's a very interesting film in that Jamie Foxx is clearly the lead of the movie as the titular Django. And then yep. but Christoph Waltz is... More of the showman He gets more Mm -hmm. of the And obviously Leonardo DiCaprio as well gets a bunch of big Mm -hmm. scenes And big dialogue as well But Mm -hmm. it's just It's a fascinating Sort of role for Jamie Foxx And it's fascinating to think about What could have been Because everyone always says that Will Smith was strongly considered For this role And I cannot imagine Will Smith in this role Like It would have had to be A very different movie Like like he would have I I mean Maybe he would have played Against type And left all the quips out And been stone serious And you know given us a different Sort of Will Smith Than we're used to But I just At this point in his i know it was years ago but i just can't imagine a will smith giving us what jamie fox gives us here which is a lot of like very subdued smoothness and a lot of very yeah, tucked away yeah. rage but he just he he's you know sub- he hides all that within himself and lets it just pop out at the appropriate times which i, I just it's just not the way i think of every character will smith has ever played
1: uh yeah it's it, well i, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You say you save Will Smith and Western, and you immediately go to Wild Wild West, which is so there's immediately what I think. Uh, like oh a giant mechanical steampunk spider coming to the screen, but uh, which doesn't actually sound that crazy for a Quentin Tarantino movie. His execution probably would have been better, but um, but no, I think you're right. I think I think you hit on something that um, that is true, which is that um, you know. Jamie Foxx has this sort of seething and simmering rage going that I don't think I've ever seen from like a Will Smith character in any of his movies. So it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to imagine um, that. And then paired with sort of his, like you said, his sort of, his, his sort of suave coolness, which I think Will Smith can pull off. Oh yeah, the, the one
0: scene I can see Will Smith doing very easily is the end near the end of the movie when he's negotiating with Tarantino and his buddies to get out of the jam that they're in. Like that's a that's a Will Smith scene for sure. But the yeah. two hours leading up to that are hard to picture.
1: I feel like he could have pulled off the scene where he, or um, Schultz, asks him to pick out whatever clothes he wants, and then he wears a very ridiculous, like satin. <laughs> yes. outfit. But other than that, yes, I agree with
0: you. Yeah, a, a smattering of very few scenes that seem very Smith-oriented, but. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a it's really got a lot of great performances. You know, Samuel Jackson is great. Walton Goggins is great. Really playing into that Southern dandy character he inhabits yeah. in, and in also everything he's ever done—some yeah. version of an effeminate Southern dandy—and he kills it. But yeah, Mm -hmm. but I think Waltz is the person to talk about. He won Best Supporting Actor. It was his second Best Supporting Actor win, his second under Tarantino's wing. And it's I think I think part one of the reasons I didn't like it back in twenty twelve is I think I was comparing the two Waltz performances. Like I mean, Waltz in in Inglorious Pastor's, as we said previously in our in our podcast about that which is on in Real is it's just one of the f- best performances certainly of the last two decades probably of the last several de- you know probably in quite some time it's unbelievably great it deserves all the praise it gets and i think this one was always going to pale in comparison if you compare them but i just think yeah. when i watched it in 2020 i didn't think about that, and it's just, it's so good in its own way. Like, it's its a very different kind of performance, and it's, 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 it's got sort of that same conflicted character where you, where, well, well, in, in Glorious Bastards, Waltz was a bad guy who you couldn't help but, like, be intrigued by and yeah. maybe not root for, but certainly be so curious as to what he does next. In this, yeah. King Schultz is a, nominally a good guy, but he's got very strong shades of grey, if not outright, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want I mean, evil sides of him to a certain extent that that fit in the context of the era. But when you actually step, step back and think about who this character is and the choice he's making, they're not good guy choices. Like they're very selfish at best and they're very, yeah. and they're, and they're arguably very detrimental to the people in his orbit.
1: Yeah. I think what's interesting is like, I mean, look, I, I think you and I both agree that like the, his performance as Hans L- L- Landa, excuse me, I was trying to do all long A's there. Hans <laughs> Landa uh, um, is like the best of his career, at least that we've seen, and like is just a, a master performance inside. Better of than a Water for Elephants. <laughs> I don't know. I never saw it, so I, I presumably, um, uh, uh, it is a master performance inside of a master, like a, a masterpiece, basically. And um, this movie isn't really a masterpiece, although I think it's a very good performance from Waltz. I think the interesting thing, and probably the thing that you and I kind of were struck by both. In in rewatching it, is that like actually his character is more complex in this movie than I think in 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 Inglorious Bastards? Like you said in Inglorious Bastards, he's kind of a bad guy who then turns into an opportunist, um, which doesn't really actually change the arc of what we know about him, right? Like he he's an operator who was successful in the Nazi in the Nazi structure, and then the minute it became clear that the Nazi structure wasn't going to work out for him, he attempted to be a smooth operator in, you know, in another way. So he doesn't really, I mean, he's a very entertaining character, but he doesn't really change. Um, And in this movie, he, like you said, he seems like a good guy, but there's, you know, I I mean, but he's he's clearly also, and I I think, again, Tarantino's clearly interrogating what this character is all about throughout the movie. I mean, there's a line in early in the movie where he says, I'm going to make this slavery malarkey work to my benefit. Still, I feel guilty. And to me, that line kind of sums up everything he does in this movie, um, which is, you know, he's, he's giving Django this opportunity. He seems to view him as sort of a, an equal or a pseudo pseudo equal, but only in the context of the fact that it benefits him. Um, And then at the end of the movie, when he has an opportunity to just, you know, let Django sort of hand Django, you know, walk out of there without, you know, without a mountain of bodies behind them. Um, He does something very rash and kind of screws it all up. Um, And I guess, you know, without that, we wouldn't get the bloodbath. Uh, But I think that's, I think that's like way more interesting than um, anything like that sort of happens with Hans Landa. even though, um, you know, that, that previous performance is, is so much more, like, indelible, I guess.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it's accentuated. Or it's easier to think of him as the good guy once DiCaprio comes in the movie. Once Calvin right. Candy shows up and is right. so cartoonishly evil, yeah. then yeah. obviously Django and Schultz become just, like, the heroes no matter what. because certainly paired against yeah. that that you can't help but root for them, and you should. But, yeah, but... but I, And I think, you know, I, I don't think I realized the first time I saw it how well Waltz plays that that, you know, that clear, dis- I don't know how to word it, disregard, or just, you know, again, selfishness, or just, you know, lack of caring about his fellow man beyond his purposes. Like, I think it's one of those things that I think like is easy to ignore unless you're paying attention to it, you know?
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, you you like you said, I think you the first time you see this movie, you're... You're just excited to see well another Tarantino movie, and then Christoph Waltz follow up that previous performance, and so it's like understandable that maybe it's a letdown there, and that you miss some of this like nuance. I, I think you're right on.
0: Yeah, but he's great. He's I loved him this time around. And we have to talk about DiCaprio's Calvin Candy. It's just, it's it's a good, upon my rewatch, the first, you know, 45 minutes or so are still really, really good and interesting and fun and do a great job of establishing the Django Schultz dynamic. But when Leo comes to the movie, the energy just picks up a thousand percent. You know, like that hour in the middle where Leo is there is just fantastic. Like, I don't know if, do you think DiCaprio would ever play a villain like this again? Like, I think this was definitely good for his career and he was really good in it. And I think, it came at a great time for him where no one... Like no, it's it's such a over the top kind of movie that I think no, it, it was a, I think it was a smart good a smart bad guy choice for him to choose because he's so cartoonishly evil that like I I don't know if he'd play a straight slave owner I think he would just play a Tarantino slave owner you know
1: <laughs> yeah every no, slave
0: I, owners obviously
1: yeah yeah I, no I think it's a really good question because it's like you know I wrote that down in my notes I'm like God I would love to see DiCaprio as a villain again because he yes he does play that role with it's it's cartoonish right um, cartoonish in the same way that like his character in wolf of wall street is is cartoonish yes, yes, right yes. it's just very over the top obviously um but you know he, he, you know and it's easier easy to sort of like laugh at in some ways at the absurdity of how like evil the character is but he plays that character with like real menace I mean, he's like a—he's a pretty terrifying character, um, even with all that, you know, like veneer of, you know, sort of humor and warped Southern charm, I guess, and like, and so I—I I mean, I wonder the same thing. Like, I don't—I don't know. I, I don't know what the the politics of being Leonardo DiCaprio and wanting to play a bad guy is or like i don't know what that does to your i don't know how you manage a career like leonardo dicaprio's at this point but um it certainly jumped out like it's like it it's 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 like the most interesting role of like of of late that i can sort of remember him playing and i'm including like the revenant in that and um i guess maybe wolf of wall street it kind of like almost sets up that character in some ways you know it's there is like sort of a continuum there but um yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, you took the took the words right out of my notebook. I, I would, I would, I, I, you, I now want to see more of him, more of him as a villain. Um, it's just such a, like you said, it's it just it just gets the movie going. And I think you're right on. I didn't really pick up on that right in my notes that it does. It doesn't drag exactly in the beginning, but it is like it really is waiting for him to kind of like get things sort of sort of going. Um,
0: so yeah you're sort of wondering when the excitement is going to really pick up and then it does yeah. in a huge way did you, did you look up Andrew one thing I thought when I was watching this movie that I didn't realize at the time when he smashes the skull near, near the, you know, the end of his part of the movie and when he's right before there's the climactic shootout he yep. actually gets his hand actually gets bloody from smashing that skull and when he rubs the blood on Kerry Washington's head that's his own blood and they just kept shooting the scene <laughs>
1: I did not know that. So
0: he pretty great. (laughs) I don't know if he was supposed to smash his skull and it just, and like it was, you know, a a gimmick skull and it just didn't break the right way or what. Because I remember watching it and being like, That looked real ish. Like, you know, obviously he's a good actor and he could fake it pretty easily too. But I was like, the way he's rubbing the blood under his head made me feel like he was he was like, I gotta work with this now. Like I got a bloody ass hand and I better use it to my advantage, which makes that whole scene even more absurd than it already is. And the menace is already, like you said, through the roof by that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like looking back on that, like I, I can't remember if, if he was nominated. I feel like he was um, for a best supporting actor. And
0: one I, you moment, know, I... please. Let me uh, check on that. There's a lot of stuff on this Wikipedia page. A lot of controversy. elements. <laughs> he was not nominated. No. Hmm. Wow. Yeah.
1: I, I, mean... th- I, so I remember that I, I, now that you say that, I kind of remember him, you know, there was, it was kind of seen as as a snub at the time. And, um, he
0: got a lot of film. He got a Golden Globe nomination. He lost the waltz, yeah. and he got a bunch of critic awards and an MTV Movie Award. There you go, <laughs> best villain and best on-screen duo with Samuel L. Uh, Jackson, which is a why weird. was he worried
1: about not getting an Oscar when he's got he got Moon nominations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, like you know, it's it that I remember thinking this at the time that I thought is you know. Like, this was, a, this was an Oscar-worthy performance in, like, the supporting actor category. I mean, I guess that's also kind of noteworthy uh, that he's, uh, he's you know, he's, he's more of a supporting role in this one. I, I guess he's kind of more supporting-ish um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, um, which, you know, maybe in, so, in some ways, like, almost everyone in a Tarantino movie is supporting it. Like, some of them barely even feel like they have a... Star, Um, but uh, you know. Anyway.
0: Yep. Yeah. He's. uh, It's. It's a fascinating role for him, and it's. uh, I think it's one of those ones that eight years later we've just accepted it as part of. DiCaprio's cool filmography and go, wow, that was fun when he was a bad guy. But I imagine in 2012 it was pretty goddamn shocking to see, you know? Even when you knew he was going to be in it, you still didn't realize how deep it was going to go. And like, I will say about this movie too, everyone who plays a bad guy leans the hell into it. Like, Samuel L. Jackson is such a good sycophant, just conniving, slimy piece of shit. And, like, he looks old as hell. He, You know, we were saying before we started, he usually looks so cool in every movie. Like, The Avengers in particular. Like, he just wears a leather jacket and an eye patch and looks like such a... (laughs) He's, like, 80 years old and he looks like a huge (laughs) badass. And this movie, like, for Tarantino, he looks like an old, decrepit piece of shit. And he does... There's, There's no one... And I'm sure Tarantino makes it this way no matter what, but, like, no one is differing from their... Or is leaving their role behind or or not leaning into it the way they show it. Like, everyone is fully committed. And I think that's... So you need to have a movie like this for this sort of, like... You know, to, I think to keep that slightly... Like, cartoonish isn't the right word, but that slightly uh, hyper-realistic tone or, like, not even... You know what I mean. Like, not realistic, but in grounded in the real world, but also clearly, like, like like, ends up being, you know, a revisionist history or a fantasy or, like, you know, something like that. I feel like there's a weird tone you need to strive for to do that right. And I think just with the way Tarantino does things like everyone in it is so fully committed to that. And is, and like, especially at the end, I was thinking of when, when they're blowing up Candyland and Carrie Washington puts her fingers in her ears and the horse does a little dance. Like (laughs) there's all these little flourishes that remind you constantly how absurd everything is, you know?
1: yeah 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 well I think what's interesting too now that you call that out is like the the villains especially in the movie, but really everyone to a degree uh in this in this southern society like they they all like they they all they they this flash these flashes of anger, I think you could even say this about Django and like Schultz and others, but like these flashes of anger are true flashes, like you know. Um, I, I, just think of the, the Samuel L. Jackson's character, like he's basically like a bumbling idiot in front of candy, but then the minute he goes behind closed doors, he's like, uh, like a tyrant dickhead to, uh, to, to, <laughs> to, to, to broom Hilda. And like, and, and it's clear, I mean, you know, that, that trope of the, the sort of the, the house slave, you know, sucking up to the master and then, you know, um, being awful to all the other people who he's sort of above on the, on the chain is, is there. But like, I feel like that's true of like almost every character that they have this, this, you know, and maybe Tarantino, maybe I'm reading too much, but maybe Tarantino's saying something about quote unquote Southern hospitality and how, um, how thin that veneer really is. Um, but, but all of them seem to like turn on a hat. I mean, ca- candy too, you know, I mean, one moment he's nice and the next moment he's smearing blood all over people and smashing skulls at the dinner table. So, um, so it's kind of, it's, it is interesting how quickly that stuff seems to, um, to turn in the movie. it, 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 it it gives it this moment, these moments of, of shock, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and of like tension in a lot of ways, too, because yeah. Tarantino loves, he definitely loves flipping the switch abruptly, you know? Mm-hmm. He loves like a half hour of nothing, and then all of a sudden the craziest shit you've ever seen starts happening. Or yeah. yeah. a character reveals themselves to be a sadist, or a monster, or just a genius, you know? Like, they, it, it was really fun to watch this again, and, and Jamie Foxx is so good in this, and you see the evolution of Django into, like, Schultz's partner, and, like, really good at his job you know what Mm -hmm. his job becomes Mm -hmm. and like I forgot Mm -hmm. all that was in the movie like I remembered so much of the the Candyland parts which is the, the the main part like we said that is the part that really matters but it does the movie does a lot of work in setting up Django as as somewhat legitimate to do what he ends up doing you know which is right. which is good like that's a that's I feel like that's the the patience and the the what, what, something uh the time that is afforded someone like Tarantino like to spend 45 minutes of his movie that is pretty long given the subject matter and everything like it doesn't need to be a, over two hours you know two hours and what Two hours and forty minutes long, like yeah, that's yeah, a long yeah. ass movie about. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long ass revisionist I'm western, saying. but he takes his time to establish who these people are and like why it all matters and what they went through to get to where they are and like and Fox plays that all so well. Like he again, he yeah. does not he does not make himself out to be more cool than he is. Like it all feels earned and achieved in a way where at the end you're really rooting for him because you're like, man, this guy really like worked for this. Like this guy, this guy gave it all and like and killed a bunch people yes but like but really like they, they just put the time into attention like, isn't the white word again but like they put the time to make it all feel drawn out in a good way where you're really satisfied by the end that how ridiculous it all plays out
1: yeah yeah I, it's it's interesting too i feel like this movie kind of sits even though i don't think it's it's the the um best of tarantino's work um it kind of feels like it sits at the middle of all of his work though in in a lot of ways like to me it has a lot of like the really the some of the a lot of the elements that i really enjoy about all of his movies like put together in a lot of ways so i guess what i'm what i'm driving at there is you know you you do have this sort of um you know um th- this this anachronistic or revisionist sort of history you have this incredible like sa- I, the soundtrack is great in this movie yeah, i really, really yeah. talk- i mean they're they're always going to say that probably every episode of the series but like he he um, i was really impressed like he uses he used like a rick ross song really effectively and but then you know he's throwing back to you know you know, 60s and 70s, you know, I almost feel like Robert Redford and Paul Newman are going to come writing across the screen <laughs> at certain points. And uh, so that's great. Like the movie's really funny. Um, it, it has these moments of tension. Um, it, it has a lot of these elements that like I just love about different parts of the movie. And like, you know, I feel like a lot of the movie, like, you know, there's we've sort of agreed that there's like, you know, it's Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards and then kind of everything else. Um, and, uh, this one feels like t- to have, it feels to me like it has a lot of the best qualities of all of his movies all in one, um, which doesn't necessarily make it even close to the best. i um, like, I would still rank Jackie Brown, like right in there at number three, um, uh, and on a on a day where i'm you know longing for uh pam greer or or something like that maybe it'd be a little bit higher but um hopefully that makes sense like it's got the wet the western stuff and but it does the western better than like i think than the the next one we're about to talk about um you know I, i would love i would love to see in this movie though a map of where django and schultz go in that first 45 minutes because if you look at the topography and the weather and the mountains and stuff like it's all supposed to be in the south but like they're clearly near the rocky mountains for parts of this (laughs) which i love because he's clearly playing you know paying tribute to to some of the again some of these like you know the 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 butch cassidy's of the world those movies um but uh you know and it, it it opens it up for this amazing scenery um but it it's it is kind of Funny to, to to watch all that stuff come together.
0: Um, yeah, that's another good example. That's a great example of you know again duh, having it be realistic in some ways, but also it doesn't matter yeah. where they are, or what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, like, no, it it's in it service of the scenery in service of the shot and service of just the coolness of the adventure overall. Like. And I think that's hard to do like it's one of the, it's a, it's a thing that in other people's movies I would be taken out immediately, you know? Or I'd nitpick it after the yeah. fact and go, "Come on, like he can't." But he just has a way to establish a tone that where it all just you don't care, you know? And I don't yeah. know what it is. It's a gift he has. That I think it's why people copy him all the time and fail because they're just not the. They just not like cool is the. I guess cool is a word for it. Like he's he's cool and his movies emanate that, and it allows some of the criticisms of those like very specific sort to sort of bounce right off it because it's like who gives a shit? It's not the movie. It doesn't matter.
1: Well, and there's a very specific purpose to to, to making yes, those. Yes, it's also very. Like,
0: it's it's very thought yeah. out beforehand. It's not. Yeah. It's not lazy. Yeah. It's not. It doesn't happen yeah. just because he's a bad writer who forgot yeah. to justify yeah. something. It's because it's yeah. all on purpose for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's like the greatest film nerd that has ever been allowed <laughs> to hold a camera. And yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, yeah.
0: So. I just saw a news story came out today about Fiona Apple. Did you see this, Andrew? No. Fiona Apple said she stopped doing cocaine because once she did cocaine with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino, and she's like, if you ever trapped in a room with those two guys on cocaine, you'll never want to do it ever again. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I think they just talked about movies nonstop like huge nerds for hours. And she's like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, <he's laughs> Christ. Nice.
1: So it's like you and I should probably offer that as a service to people trying to quit cocaine. Like, well, you and I will do cocaine with yeah, we them. We don't do
0: it. We have no interest in doing it, yes, but we will clear, do it for
1: that service. Just just to get people off of the cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve and I will snort sugar and then have our normal, our normal conversations and yeah. then be like, I've clearly hit rock bottom.
0: I uh, <laughs> <laughs> <so, laughs> uh, so that was a fun piece of recent Tarantino news yeah. that I really enjoyed.
1: I, I saw that uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson part. I didn't know that Tarantino was there, but I uh, I guess once film and cocaine were involved, I yeah, should Yeah, Quentin assumed.
0: had to be there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. So let's talk real quick about the revisionist history element of this movie, because it's in two of his other films we've already talked about. We went out of order, obviously, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we talked about it in Glorious Bastards. Um, I think it's good here. I think I think I, I, the point I made in the Inglorious Bastard ep- episode stands up here. I think when it's in service of a truly great evil like the Nazis or slave owners, it's great and it's fun and it's like. And also, I think time helps. Like this obviously happened a long time ago and just in inter- hundreds of years ago. So I think it's it's a hundred, you know, fifty <laughs> years not as long as it should have, but long enough where we can all we're all very most of us are pretty clear that this is horrible and the worst thing in the world and any pain wrought upon slave owners is welcome in almost every way, especially people this evil doing these kind of things. So like, I think it's, it's an example of a t- subject matter where Tarantino's approach works really, really well because there's not a person in that theater, there shouldn't be a person in that theater who isn't incredibly excited to see Django kill these people and get his lady back.
1: Yeah, so I, I generally
0: obviously i agree with that statement
1: but uh, <laughs> i but as a guess, filmmaking
0: you know trope or choice or you know storytelling yeah.
1: yeah i mean i i do think it's there is sort of probably a law of diminishing returns it's like he went to that well with inglorious bastards and then you know he comes back to it here and then does it again in one spot time in hollywood um I guess for me, like, I, I just, uh, the one thing I wrote in my notes, I'm not really even disagreeing with you that I, I think it, it's an effective movie and it works. I, you know, and and maybe this movie is sort of a turning point. Well, I don't know. It's, it can't really be a turning point with Inglorious Bastards before this. But, like, the just the bloodbath in this movie at the very end was, like, I just was kind of over it, like god it takes like 30 minutes i was probably over it like five minutes in
0: um <laughs> it is long
1: and and I, I, like and i think it's it's partially because it's coupled with like um some of the other like actual real atrocities of slavery <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. having two people fight to death the death like in in inglorious bastards you know you 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 see this you know this horrible thing happened to a Jewish family at the very beginning of the movie, but you're not like then wallowing in the concentration camps for parts of the movie as well. Whereas with Django, you are on these plantations and, you know, there is, uh, there is sort of, uh, there are moments of levity, but, um, you know, it's, it's still there. And so like for me, um, by the time, you know, by the time this massacre starts at, at Candyland, um, I, I guess I was a little fatigued by it. Um, and, and it just goes on for a while. It's not so much that I don't think the movie deserved to sort of have that to a degree, but, um, it was like, I, I just was like, is this ever going to end? Honestly, it's just like, <laughs> and, and I, I should say I felt the same way in once upon a time in Hollywood as well. Like at, at the end, like other than the Hilarious surprise of the flamethrower being in there. I, I I felt that sort of way there too, um, so maybe I'm just I have a weak stomach and older age. I don't know.
0: No, that's interesting. I, but, I think that's a really good point. I never thought about it in that particular way, and I don't think you're wrong at all. I in in, in you talking about it right now, I realized that I was thinking about it. Now that you know, I've, I saw it after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the for this recording, and mm-hmm. I was comparing it more to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I just. I, I, tr- I truly do not like the violence in that. Like, I truly... Yeah. I've said this on our episode. I say it whenever I talk about the movie. As much as I like that movie, I do not like the way that movie depicts the ends with Brad Pitt smashing a woman's face into the wall, whether yeah. she's a Manson cultist or not. But in this yeah. one, I think I was just like, this just feels more justified. Like, <laughs> if, if, you don't, if you don't like it for logistical reasons because it's too long or it's too much, I totally understand that. That's a pretty good point. But I think I just felt like it was earned in the context of the story way more than it was. But you're also right that you are wallowing in violence for a lot of this movie. And yes. I think his goal was probably to make this feel even more justified at the end and even more, you know, cathartic and, and valuable and, and necessary. But it doesn't mean it has to be a fun romp that everyone enjoys. You know, like it's, it is tough yeah. to watch and it is very detailed and it serves a purpose. I don't think it is to the detriment of the movie. But again, it's not it's not for everybody. I totally understand that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 there. I feel like you needed to. I don't know if it needed to have some of it, but it, 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 it made sense to have some of it. But by the end, I was just personally worn out. Um, by it's it, a uh, long
0: ass movie, so you're right, yeah. just about it being worn out.
1: Yeah, yeah. two and forty. Which, that's I, a
0: long. That's almost Irishman long. I,
1: I guess. Uh, I guess we'll see how I feel uh, with *Hateful Eight, which I think is doesn't have quite the. The bloodbath, but does certainly have its moments of uh, extreme extreme violence. Um, so we'll see.
0: And as long, and I remember it being less good as well. So yeah. you know,
1: yeah, yeah. We'll that'll see. be a
0: thing. So we yeah. talked about it a little bit, Andrew. But as we wrap up here, where does this sit for you? I'll say for me, it is. I would say it's firmly at. Number 4. I mean I don't have I I, have, I don't I don't want to say firmly but it feels like the Three already named, Pulp Fiction and Glorious and Jackie Brown are all definitively better, but I will say I like this better than the Kill Bills. I like it better than Reservoir Dogs. And what else? Even is that it? Is that all of them?
1: What about Death Proof?
0: <laughs> oh, well, I liked it way better than Death Proof. And so yeah, I think it's a solid. You know, well, I, this I was the most I was the most surprised by my flip on this and on Kill Bill. Like I really, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize how much I didn't care for Kill Bill, and I didn't realize how yeah. much I enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, I think I generally agree. I I I I feel like I need to re rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which which I really like. Oh, of course, liked. and that one um, as well. Yeah, I think that would be the other contender for the number four spot in my in my in my rankings as well but um yeah it's it's definitely it's it's definitely in the the upper upper tier of like his 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 nine whatever movies he's made um i and i agree like i really thought kill bill was near the top of my list um and i think we already talked about that it's
0: definitely definitely not (laughs) no it's not oh it absolutely is not but this is a lot better Yes, this is definitively better, without a doubt, I would say.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: There we go, that's it. That's our Django Unchained episode, and as Andrew noted, we have one more left. We have The Hateful Eight. (laughs) That is the final Tarantino movie. Then we're done, we're free in a good way. We've just wrapped up our little filmography. So we'll be getting to that very, very soon with the pandemic bearing down upon us and the need to self-quarantine and social distance. A lot of time for podcasting. So keep an eye out on the in real deep podcast feed because you'll be seeing some episodes coming and one of those will be the hateful eight. So if you watch this, go rent hateful eight as well, watch that and come back to the feed in the very near future. And you'll get a little more Tarantino before we wrap up.
1: Yeah, this is a heck of a way to plow through some, uh, some filmographies, but um, and then yeah we're gonna we're have to figure lemons, out what to do next we're making
0: lemonade right <laughs> yeah
1: i guess i guess you know this there's worse things in the world than to be stuck inside and have to watch movies i suppose um hopefully that's the only way it affects us and all of our listeners um yep. but uh Hopefully everyone just stays safe.
0: Yep, we're crossing our fingers for you. Watch the movies, download our other episodes, go to InRealDeep.com. Not a ton of written content these days. We've been the movies have been subpar and we've (laughs) been busy boys, but all of our good old stuff is up there. The best of twenty eighteen, all of our old podcasts. Go enjoy that and keep watching the feed for more great episodes to come. And Andrew, thank you for joining us. Good luck. Stay safe. Keep the family safe. Let's watch the movies. Go watch a movie right now and text me about it, and maybe we'll record on it.
1: It sounds good.
0: <laughs> the same for you all at home. Enjoy. Be safe. Be healthy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios.